May that be our prayer this morning and our commitment that all that we are is His. We give it all to Him. And after all, what better response to give it all to Him since He gave it all for us, right? And gave it all to us. So, super excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, uh, my name is Brian McKenzie. I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at the Potter's House. And uh, the privilege to bring God's Word every once in a while as well. So, enjoy all of that. Um, Hopefully you do too, and uh, it's been a great morning already, just uh, lifting our voices in song to the Lord, celebrating baptism with four people, and to just love that, that picture over and over and over again, what God has done in us and for us, um, and my prayer is that if uh, you have questions about baptism, you have questions, first of all, about coming into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that you would let one of our elders know. We'd love to sit down and talk with you and um, talk about that and talk about uh, how that can be true in your life as well. Well, um, uh, if you've noticed this morning and in, in, in recent weeks, we uh, don't have as many empty seats um, as we've had in, in a year ago, especially. And God keeps bringing more people. We're thankful for that. But just encourage you to um, scoot in a little bit when, when you come in so more people can uh, join us as well. Uh, and afterward, we're looking forward to having a great time of fellowship. Uh, people are out there cooking and all that good stuff. I know it looks like hamburgers, but it's really filet mignon. So just, I know it looks like hamburgers. It really is. And, and it's cube steak too, not ha- hot dogs, okay? So enjoy that time with us uh, as we eat together and fellowship. It'll be a lot of fun. It was a great time last year as well. Well, with that said, um, this morning we are, we've been saying we're continuing our studies in our series on First and Second Timothy called Be Strong in Grace. But this morning, I can't say that. We're finishing our series. <laughs> Some people are really happy about that, Jay. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're finishing our series in First and Second Timothy called Be Strong in Grace. And I, and I just ask you, and I know if Jay was finishing it, um, he'd probably say, just, just bear with me, because this is like saying goodbye to an old friend. It really is. This has been a joy for me. I know a joy for Jay to walk through this with you all together and see all that the Lord has said to us and taught us and challenged us with through Paul to Timothy. Um, And I I just, it brings back relationships, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, relationships that I've had with Paul's in my life and who have invested their life in me. So a lot of emotion going into this and knowing that we're going we're to say goodbye for a while to First and Second Timothy. Uh, and just so you know where we're going after this, we've got a couple of sermons staying alone in the next couple of weeks, and then we're going to start the book of Ruth. Uh, Jay and I are going to spend seven weeks in, all right, uh, in, in the book of Ruth, and then we're going to do a special uh, series around Christmas as well. So uh, that's where we're heading after this, but uh, this is our last time in um, Paul's second letter to Timothy, and this morning, which is our um, 66th message in the, this series, uh, and we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 22, and the title of the message is Be Strong in Grace Again. Be Strong in Grace Again. Well, before we do that, as always, we want to review. We're not going to review all the way back from 1 Timothy 1, you know, 1, 1, but we are going to review from last week and hopefully uh, grab hold of that and, the, and the, the big truth that was taught last week in that message that Jay taught. He was uh, um, dove in to 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 15, and 
he, he began that by taking us back to a familiar passage, which we've probably referred to at least 10 times, if not more, as we've walked through First and Second Timothy over the last couple of years. And that passage is found in Acts 9, and it's about Paul's conversion. I, I can never get tired of hearing what God did in the life of Saul, who became Paul. And if you were last week, you, we were reminded of that story and how Saul was going to persecute Christians. And then he met the Lord Jesus Christ on his way to persecute Christians. And the Lord, in a sense, knocked him off his horse. A bright light shone and, and said, you know, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, who you've been persecuting. And the Lord changed his life, converted him from the inside out, changed him into somebody who hated him and hated followers of the way, who hated Christians, to one who began to spread that message. They were spreading all over the known world at the time. And, 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 he, and, and Jay went to that passage. We've gone to that passage. I even mentioned the passage the week before. I'm probably going to mention the passage again today. He went back to that passage to remind us and to point out the fact that, that Paul was fulfilling what was promised to him there in Acts 9. Um, he was he was, as we, we saw the week before, that he was, had fought the good fight, he had finished the course, he had kept the faith. And we went back at the sea, God promised him that's what would happen. He would do that, and he, it would be a good fight. It would be, he would finish this course, he would keep the faith, and, and Jay pointed out this was a common call. Remember, it was the fight, all right? It was the course, and, or the race, and the faith. That, that it's, it's, some, it's something that's common to all of us. We're all, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're in the good fight. We're in, we're finishing the race. We are keeping the faith, right? There's commonality in that for, because it's all for all of us. Now, how that works out in our life can be a little bit different. I, I, my, my call right now I do that in many different ways as, as an elder here, but also my, 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 role, my role with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, with football coaches and athletes, and, and our FCA staff around the Midwest region and the nation. That's the, the, the way that I'm fighting the good fight and finishing the race and keeping the faith, one of the ways I do that. Yours may be a little bit different than that, but it's, okay, but it's common. We're all called to do that in the giftedness and the specific call God has in our life. And, and so we remember, remember that Paul is trying throughout this, these, these letters to encourage Timothy. He, Timothy's weary, he's weak, he's worn. We've seen that number of times, and he's using words, he's using things to, to call Timothy up, to put courage in Timothy, right, to encourage Timothy. And we saw the week before that, and, and Jay tied that back in, that, um, or actually two weeks before that, that he had called Timothy. He said that um, they're to fulfill your ministry, Fulfill your ministry. Do what God's called you to do. And then what does Paul do? He uses himself as an example. Let me show you what that looks like. Again, not bragging, but he was just saying, let me show you what that looks like in my life, Timothy. And, and then says that, hey, there's going to be reward for that. There'll be reward the way that we fight, the way that we run, the way that we finish. There, there, there's reward for that. And I want to go ahead and say this. I know in small groups there was a lot of discussion about the rewards. And Jay said, He's only going to be able to touch on it last week. It's really hard to do that. Talking about rewards, talking about the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers, those who have been made, from, come from, been dead and now are alive in Christ. And there's the judgment seat of Christ. And then there's a great white throne judgment for those who reject God's gift of his son for salvation. And they're, and they're different. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll be rewarded for those things that we've done in faith, those things that we've done um, for the glory of God. And, and, and people start asking questions. Well, what are the rewards like? And what if he has this reward and I don't have this reward? And am I going to be jealous in heaven? Envy? And no, 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 that's how it's all uh, at all. 
You, we won't even, I don't even know if you know if someone else was given a reward. It doesn't say that in Scripture, that there'll be this, oh, that's not fair. Look at the guy, thing he got. That's not, his crown's nicer than my crown. That's because we think that way because we still have sin in our life, right? There'll be no sin. There'll be sadness. There'll be jealousy. There'll be no envy, none of that right, in, in heaven. So don't get caught up in that. The point was is that, hey, it's worth it. And God's going to recognize the race that we run, the faith to keep, the fight that we, we, we fight. He's going to recognize that and say, as it, well done, done, my good and faithful servant. And there's going to be some kind, we don't know exactly what's going to be, some kind of reward. That's okay. And it's m- multiple times in the New Testament we have these rewards. So the point was not, let's get all caught up in what are the rewards exactly going to be. Is mine going to be like him? It's just, hey, it's worth it. And, and then what, what Paul does, it's really interesting, is Jay worked down through all these names, all right, in, 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 in really verses 10 down through uh, 14, the last name mentioned, but it's all about these names and, 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 and really showing and encouraging Timothy again, all right, first he calling Timothy up, showing himself an example, and showing, hey, when you fight the good fight, right, when you finish the race, when you keep the faith and you do it faithfully, right, there'll be reward, and look at some of these people. To different degrees, there were different rewards, right? And he's basically saying, hey, be like Luke. Be like John Mark. You can do it, Timothy. Does that make sense? And then, I know we, a lot of people, get, get, we, we can sometimes miss the, <laughs> miss the point, but Jay, I thought it was clear. And I was encouraged. I want to be like John Mark. And remember, John Mark had a little bump in the road, right? Jay pointed that out, right? I want to be like Luke. I want to be these people who finish strong, and I want to hear that on that last day, on that day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And whatever that crown is he gives me, I, I want to say thank you for that. And here's what I, I think may happen. And, and based upon possibly Revelation chapter 4, when the, the elders, the 24 elders, are standing before the one who sits on the throne, the Lord Jesus, all right? And he's been, he's, they stand before him, and here's what they do. They take their crowns, and they lay them at his feet. They're not like, hey, look at my crown, look at my crown. They're saying, you know what, even the ability to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith was given to me by God. I didn't do that in my own strength. He gave me the strength to do it. So we just take the crowns that he gives us and the rewards and he just lay them in his feet and say, all glory be to Jesus. Don't look at me, right? And I believe that's what's gonna happen. So let's be encouraged by last week and, and we, we kept tying those in together because it's sometimes hard to, to, to divide these things up as we teach, but they just all tie together. Be encouraged to fulfill our ministry that God's called us to. And look to Paul as an example. Look to these other men that he mentioned as examples, and it's worth it. It's worth it, and God will recognize that faithfulness. Be encouraged by that this morning. Does that make sense? Well, with that in review, uh, let's turn our attention to our passage this morning, and I ask you to stand with me. And, and I realize, just like last week, there'll be some names in here um, that aren't familiar with for you, so just saying with confidence, I'm going to do the same thing, and we'll trust that we pronounce them right. The good thing is they're not here to, to correct us um, if we pronounce their name right or not. So just, just bear with us as we, as we read this together. All right, here we go. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila 
and the household of an honest of horse. Erastus remained at Corinth, and Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And Lord, we pray for you would be with our spirit today and your grace would be with us as we look at your passage today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we examine these verses here, my desire um, is that this morning is you don't miss the main point. I, I don't want you to miss the, the main point here, the thing that stands out in these verses and ties them all together. I believe, because in some ways you look at this and he's just kind of naming people's names and this Paul does at the end of his letters and it's really insignificant, kind of like the beginning of their letter, right? He gives us greeting, it's not that big a deal. No, 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 it's a big deal. If it's in God's word, right, all, listen, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All scripture, even these sections we look at and say, what in the world is that all about? I mean, first of all, I can't pronounce half the names or know who those places are. That can't mean anything. It does. And you're going to see how it ties together. In fact, it, it, it's, the, it's one of the main things in the, themes in the entire Bible that shows up at every turn of every page, this theme, this, this main point that ties all these verses together. And, and what is that main theme in the entire Bible and the thing that stands out most in this passage this morning? Listen, if you just get this, if you only get this this morning, we're going to be good. Here's what it is. It's grace. It's grace. So, so what's the main theme or main point this morning? What is it? Okay, you got it. Not, we're, you're not, but you can't be dismissed yet. Okay? All right, now I've got to show you. I'm going to prove to you that, that it's there so you don't forget it. It's grace, and I promise you, you won't miss it. And, and as we see grace throughout this passage, my hope and prayer is you and I together will be overwhelmed by it. Now, I'm going to share a quote. I can't remember the last time I shared it. I know I've shared it here before. That's meant a lot to me. And, and it's taken from a book by a guy named J.I. Packer in, in, in a book called Knowing God. It's an old classic um, that I've read multiple times, challenged by some of the thoughts in there. And, and this particular passage or this particular chapter on grace, he, he makes this quote. And I, I, it comes to my mind often. And when I was preparing for this, it, first thing that came to my mind. And here's the quote. To be sure... There have, been always, there have always been some who have found the thought of grace so overwhelmingly wonderful that they can never get over it. And you see, I, I'm one of those. I'm one of those who finds the thought of grace so overwhelmingly wonderful. I'll never get over it. I'll never get over it. And when you really understand what grace is all about, you'll never, ever, ever, ever get over it. It's so overwhelmingly wonderful. And my desire is for everyone in this building this morning is that you'll join with the ranks of those who have found the thought of grace so overwhelmingly wonderful that you'll never get over it too. If you're not already there, pray you'll join the ranks of those who will never get over grace. And what is grace? We, we use the word. It's one of these words. Uh, I, I get a chance to talk to a lot of different people, people, football coaches to just men in our community, and we use lots of words sometimes in, 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 as we gather together on Sunday morning as churches, and, and sometimes, they, well, you know, what's the word holy mean? I don't know. What's, that's a good word. I don't know. What's holy? What's sanctified mean? 
How about justified? We use these words all the time, and we use, we use this word here, grace, all the time. Hopefully we use it all the time because it's all over Scripture. Grace, what does grace mean? And, and many of you, have to raise, hey, raise your hand, you'd probably give me this definition, unmerited favor. And you know what? That's true. It's unmerited favor. Getting something you do not deserve. Now, you've probably heard that. And most simply, it's, it's a gift. That's what the word means, gift. Uh, the, the Greek word for grace is the word charis. We've probably met some girls recently named charis. That's just the Greek word for grace. What a great name for, uh, if you're looking for a good name. All right, that's a good name for, for a daughter, grace. All right. And if it's a gift, listen to this, you can't earn it. You can't earn a gift. It's, that's not a gift. It's a wage then, Right? If you do something and someone gives you something in return for what you did, that's called a wage. That's not a gift. All right? You can't earn it and you don't deserve it. That's what grace is. You don't deserve it. You've done, done something to make, make people want to do it. Hey, we give gifts at Christmas, right? If it's truly a gift, you're not thinking, okay, well, let me get something out here in my back pocket, pull that out. It's not a gift. That's an insult to the gift giver, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, it's a gift. You can't earn it, you can't deserve it. This is an acrostic or an acronym people have used. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's right, God's riches. We get God's riches at Christ's expense, and we did nothing for it. In fact, we didn't deserve it. We deserve something completely different, grace. And then, as we'll see, I'm gonna talk about this in a little bit, it's also the desire and power to do God's will. That's what grace is, the desire and power to do God's will. And as I mentioned before, the theme of grace is all through God's word from beginning to end. For example, I'm just going to give us a little, just a little rundown here of grace from, from the beginning of God's word to the end of God's word. Think about this. In Genesis 1-1, most of, if you've ever memorized scripture, maybe you memorized this one. Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know that's grace? The Bible starts with grace. Here's what happens often. We say, well, the Old Testament, that's law, and the New Testament's grace. Wrong. No. There's grace at the beginning. God didn't have to create the world in the sense. There was nothing outside of him saying, you've got to create the world for these people. No, he did it as a gift. As a gift. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He gave us this unbelievable world. Even in its fallen state, it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's beautiful. Even in the part of the country we live in, how beautiful is that? It's a gift to us. We didn't earn it. It's grace from the very beginning. Then in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, he gives a promise in Genesis 3.15 that he's going to send someone to take care of the sin problem. Grace. They deserved judgment. God instead gave them mercy and he gave them grace. They didn't get what they deserved and he gave them something they didn't deserve, which is his grace and the promise of life and the promise of forgiveness of sin from the seed that would come from the woman who would crush the serpent's head. That's grace. How about Genesis 12, the, the call of Abraham? Listen, Abraham's family the, 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 the section of the world he came from were moon worshipers. They worshiped the stars. He was a pagan, and God called Abraham by grace, completely by grace. Abraham didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He was worshiping some other gods, and God called Abraham. The choosing of Jacob instead of Esau, that's grace. And we, Jacob, he was a scoundrel, wasn't he? It's, it's funny you go back and say, man, did God make a mistake here? <laughs> Jacob, he keeps doing all that. No, he didn't make a mistake. It was all of grace, to show his grace and his purposes of grace, right? How about choosing King David? I mean, he was the little dude. I mean, his brothers were way more impressive than David, but he chose David, grace. 
He gave the prophets to the nation of Israel after they had walked away from him for the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We have time to go on that. But that was, a, that was an act of grace so he, they could lovingly warn them to turn, turn from their sin and turn to the God of their fathers. That was grace. It was a gift. They didn't earn it or deserve it. He could have just said, okay, we're done with this. He could have said that up multiple times. We're just done with this. But he doesn't say that. He sends people to warn them and point them himself. The choosing of Mary to bury the Messiah. Grace. Grace. Mary didn't earn that. She didn't deserve that. I love it, and it's called the Mary the Magnificent. It's this whole song or poem or this whatever you, what was it. It was probably more of a song that Mary sang. It says, to God my Savior. Mary admitting that she was sinful like everyone else. And God chose to bring his son into the world through Mary by grace. The choosing of the 12. I mean, those are the last dudes he should have chosen. If you go and read these guys, if you've ever done the study of the 12, I mean, those guys, they would never have made the first team. I mean, those are the guys you'd like running off. But he chooses those 12. Grace. His death, his burial, his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, all grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. Choosing Paul. We, just, we, we were reminded last week in the story of Acts 9. Did Paul earn it or deserve it? No. Grace in Paul's life. Opening our hearts to receive the gift of Jesus by faith, like he did Lydia in Acts. That's grace. We didn't earn it or deserve it. The ability to glorify God in all things. It's grace. He's coming again, it promises. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And you know what that is? Grace. Aaron, you got it, brother. It's grace. It's all grace. Grace, grace, grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Grace. It's all about grace. When it's all about grace, guess who gets the glory? He does. He gets all the glory. And we'll see that in our passage this morning. And remember that our series in First and Second Timothy has been, been titled Be Strong in Grace, which was taken from Second Timothy two one. Also, both First and Second Timothy have grace as part of Paul's greeting in, cha- in verse 2 of chapter 1 in both of these. Grace. And both First and Second Timothy's last verse ends with this phrase, grace be with you. It, it's been all about grace, the whole thing, all the way through. You could point out grace in every single message, every single passage. It's about grace. And at the end of Paul's last letter here, Second Timothy, Paul highlights grace for all to read and for all to hear in these what seems to be just some things he threw on at the end of the letter. Seems to be, but it's not. Oh, that we would never, ever get over his grace. So as we examine these verses here this morning, I I promise you're not going to miss God's grace all through these verses. And I'm going to point out at least four. There's more than that. You could, I'm just combining them really. uh, um, Different ways in which God is highlighted in these these verses, where he highlights grace. All right, here they are. The grace of extending grace to others, the grace of the Lord's strengthening and rescuing, the grace of a team, and the grace of the Lord's presence. So let's begin looking at our passage this morning. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you, or at least um, on a phone or something in front of you electronically. Let's look here at verse 16. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted 
against them. Notice that phrase at my first defense. Now, there's debate about exactly when this was, and we don't know exactly for sure, but it's most likely speaking of Paul's preliminary hearing to gather information which would then be followed up by a more formal trial if necessary, which became necessary, but it's, that's probably what his first defense. He's had an opportunity to stand up and defend himself, and it, and, 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 and it says, the next phrase says, no one supported me, but all deserted me. And this, this word support is actually a technical term for a witness coming before, uh, forward for a, on behalf of a prisoner. It says no one, no one came as a, as a witness for me. No one was there to back me up and to back my story up and to be with me, to be, to, to be right there in my greatest hour of need. No one supported me. No one stood up and spoke for me. Instead, they all deserted me. And, 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 and it seems like there were people there. We know from verse 20, we know that Luke was there. We saw that last week. It says Luke was with me, verse 11. And in verse 21, he mentions people who seemed to be there with him in Rome right at the time. And says, no one supported me. No one stood with me. We're not sure why they didn't support Paul and, 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 let him, and just let him defend himself. Uh, were they like Peter, who in fear shrunk back when Jesus was being tried? We don't know. Possibly. That, that, that may have been me. Oh, okay, I don't want to be hooked up with Paul here. He's probably getting his head chopped off. All right? Maybe it was fear. We don't, we don't know exactly. Paul obviously felt alone, and I'm sure he was hurt and disappointed to those who didn't support him during his trial. How would you feel? How would you feel if there were people there who could support you and stand with you at a trial that would most, most likely lead to your death, and they didn't stand up for you? How would you feel? I can already see it in some of your faces, and, and you probably can feel it within you. How would you respond to these other people who didn't stand with you in, in, in this great time of need? And, and may, maybe you would respond like David in Psalm 7, 6. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up your, your, yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. Get him, God. There's multiple places we could have gone for David saying this. Just go get him. Maybe that's what you felt. Yeah, get, you're going to get yours. You understand know me? Oh, yeah, God's going to get you. Go get him. Maybe that's our thought. Well, was that Paul's response to these people? This is amazing. Uh, look at verse 16 again. Look, it says, may it not be counted against them. May it not be counted against them. Are you kidding, Paul? I mean, they deserve the judgment of God for not standing with you. They deserve God to zap them, to come down hard on them. But instead of responding with anger and wrath, Paul extends grace to others. Wow. Wow. He, they had the opportunity to stand up for Paul, and they didn't. And Paul extends grace to him. He says, may it not be counted against them. And it reminds me, and maybe it reminds you of something that happened in the book of Acts in chapter six, 7, of, um, verse 60, when Stephen's being stoned to death for his standing for the gospel. Look what it says. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Wow. In the same way that Stephen did this, but in a greater way, and I think maybe ultimately we want to make sure it points to this when Jesus is on the cross. In Luke 23, 34, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing extending grace to those who had nailed him to the cross. 
And I'm also reminded of what the Lord through Paul wrote, and I'll just tell you this, I don't have it up on the screen, Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind to one another, right? tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. He, he calls the church of Ephesus, calls all Christians to extend grace to others, just as God has extended grace to us. Those who have been forgiven, listen, forgive. Right? If you've been forgiven, your heart should be to forgive. Those who have been given grace, extend grace. Paul had been forgiven much. And we saw back in 1 Timothy, he calls himself the chief of sinners. Hey, if you think you're a bad sinner, you can't hang with my resume of being a sinner. And yet God forgave him. He'd been forgiven much. He had the grace of God extended to him. He'd been shown the amazing grace of God over and over again. So instead of condemning these people who didn't stand up for him, he forgives them. He gives them grace, just like God had given him grace. Paul is a humble recipient of grace and therefore seeks to give grace to others. So it's obvious here in verse 16, we, we see this first way, we could summarize in this way, that which Paul highlights grace, the grace of extending grace to others. So how about us? Hey, how about us? We can talk about Paul, we could talk about Timothy, who he's trying to encourage here to be one who extends grace to others. How about us? Do we extend grace to others? We who have been recipients of the overwhelming grace of God in our lives, do we extend grace to others? Or do we become bitter or vengeful or unforgiving toward those who may not have stood up for by us or deserted us or turned their back on us in our hour of need? We, we don't always know why people do that. We, we don't know why they don't stand up. They don't. There's all kinds of things that possibly could happen. Remember this. Hurt people hurt people. And maybe there's something going on in their life that Maybe prevented. Maybe they were just chicken. We don't know that. We don't. We don't always know the motives. But whatever they are, when we're faced with the opportunity to extend grace to others, may we pour out grace like God has poured out grace to us. I mean, how many people have had someone desert them at a trial that you may get the death penalty? Anybody? No hands. That's the first time. Oh, we got a few people. Maybe you might. You might get the death penalty. Wow, that's awesome. All right? But listen, Paul, that's like he's, he's, he's ratcheting it up, right? Even then, Paul extends grace, and God would have us extend grace to those as well. Give them something they don't deserve, they don't earn. Well, let's turn our attention to, to verses 17 and 18 now. Look at verse 17 with me, all right? And uh, we'll... Um, this first look at verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. So notice that phrase, but the Lord stood with me. It contrasts the fact that others had deserted him. He says, but, but all these people deserted me. Don't count that against them. But the Lord stood with me. You can always count on the Lord, can't you? And and what is it the Lord did for him? He says, he stood with me and he strengthened me. The Lord gave him strength to get through that part of the hearing or the trial. The Lord strengthened him in that, in that time. And and, and he did it for a purpose. Notice those words, so that. 
So that the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that. So that there's a purpose, there's a reason the Lord this, and then he gives us. All right, what's the purpose? So that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. Exactly what the Lord had promised through Ananias in Acts 9, which we saw last week. Let me remind us. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen entry of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. So here he is, all right, bearing his name before Gentiles and kings. And later, when the Jewish authorities are interrogating him, and he's kind of coming toward the end of Acts, and Acts 23, and at this particular tense moment, the Lord reminds him of his purpose and calling. Right? The Lord tells Paul, but on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage, for as you have saw me witness to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. And here's Paul writing to Timothy, and he's experiencing the fulfillment of God, what God had promised, right? God says, you'll stand before kings. He's standing before kings. He's standing, and you'll get to Rome. He's in Rome. And he's proclaiming, right? So the gospel to the Gentiles and those in Rome and the kings, they can all hear the gospel. Why? Why, why did that happen? What, why did that, aptly, that ultimately come to fruition, that promise in Paul's life? Here's why, because Job 42.2 says this. I know, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing can stop the purposes of God. Paul, I need you in Rome, and I'm gonna get you to Rome. Guess where Paul got? To Rome. To Rome. He got to Rome. The Lord strengthened him to fulfill his purpose, taking the gospel to Rome. Nothing could stop this. So look at the last phrase there in verse 17, back in our passage. Okay. Can somebody push that button for me? All right. Just, just, just bear with me. If you have your Bible open, you can look. at verse 17. I, rescued, I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Okay, there we go. It's back up there, all right? Most likely means his preliminary hearing went well, all right? And his execution was delayed during which he was able to present the gospel to those Gentiles at the hearing. And we think it's delayed here because he's saying, okay, Timothy, I got some time. Come, we'll see him later. Come see me. Okay, so it must have gone well, all right? And, and this, this rescued out of the lion's mouth is a figurative, all right, of being rescued from his life being taken then. Some people believe it was being rescued from the emperor Nero. Many of the early, um, what we call early church fathers, many of them believe that was, he was rescued from Nero. What, what, whatever it is. Okay, and you, we can debate back and forth what this, what this means and, and what it's the figurative language for. But it, the point being made is the Lord strengthened Paul to fulfill his purpose. No one could keep him from fulfilling his purpose. God was going to get him there. And now look at the, last, the first phrase there in verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Every evil deed. What, what, how would the Lord rescue him from every evil deed? Well, he's already rescued him from some evil deeds. Remember the guy Alexander we talked about last week? I got the end of the passage. Alexander said he's done much harm to me. Did Alexander keep him from doing what God had called him to do? Nope. Even though I'm sure Alexander meant evil for Paul. It says he's done, done, been very harmful to me. How about the others who had deserted Paul and not stood with him? Whatever, some of them, their motivation may not have been good. It may have been an evil deed. The Lord rescued him. He rescued him from every, the Lord will rescue from every, and he will rescue from me every evil deed to come. So I will fulfill my purpose. I will finish the race that God has called me to finish. 
And notice what else the Lord will do. It says, bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. He'll rescue him ultimately from the presence of sin and usher him into the presence of God. Isn't that good news? He will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Nothing can keep that from happening. Paul's encouraged by that. He's encouraging Timothy. This is what will happen to those who follow him and those who are, who are walking according to his purpose. God will fulfill that. Paul knew that he, he, had be, that he who had begun a good work, he's righteous of Philippians, he who had begun a good work in him, what, would be faithful to complete it. He wouldn't start, stop halfway or just short of the goal. God was going to be faithful to complete it in Paul. And yes, Paul worked hard. He did work hard. I mean, he lost his life. There's many passages we could go to. We go to Corinthians, this whole passage about how many times he was beaten, how many times he was shipwrecked. He worked hard. He uses this language, this word work, which is it's a word, we get the word agonize often in his letters. He agonized. He worked hard uh, and, and to do what God had called him. But in the end, Paul knew it was not his own strength, but it was the power of God in him. I'm just going to quote this to you. I don't have it up on the screen because I want you to listen very closely, all right? I've used this passage before. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says this. By the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Who is Paul? He was a, a child of God. He was forgiven. He was free. He was holy. He was all these things that the Scripture says about all those who are in Christ. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace toward me did not prove vain. It wasn't worthless. It wasn't empty. Right? Don't prove vain. But I labored more than all of them. There's a word, agonized. I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. I labored more than all, but, but, but not I, but the grace of God in me. See, there is this, this definition. Grace is the desire and power to do God's will. It's not just some abstract thing. It is a gift, and we get, there's so much that fall, falls under grace. And one of those things is he gives us the desire and power to do his will. It's his grace in Paul that enabled him to keep going, to work all the way to the end. And how does Paul respond to the fact that the Lord will strengthen him and rescue him to accomplish his purposes in and through him? Look at verse 18. What does he say? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's done this a number of times already in, in his letters. He gets to this point, and he begins to reflect. God has strengthened me. He's rescued me all by his grace. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To him, he can't help it. He just starts singing. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. He just starts singing. He can't help it. It's overflowing from his heart when he thinks about what God has done and what he's doing in Paul, all by his grace. So as we consider here what we see in verses 17 and 18, and we could summarize the, the second way in which Paul highlights grace with this phrase, the grace of the Lord's strengthening and rescuing. It's all by his grace. Paul didn't earn God's strength. He didn't earn God's favor to, to have him rescue him in those situations. And not only could Paul be assured of the grace of the Lord's strengthening and rescuing to accomplish his purposes for him, but listen, we can be assured. We can be assured of the grace of the Lord's strengthening and rescuing to accomplish his purpose for us to take the gospel to all he's designed for us to take them to. to. Isn't that good news? That's great news. You may be weak and weary like Timothy was, but the Lord is faithful, and we can confidently say with the psalmist, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can we say that this morning? Hey, the, the, my flesh and my heart may fail. 
And, 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 and Paul's was failing. And Timothy's heart was failing. Not his physical heart, but his, he was weary. He was, he was weak. He was worn. Listen, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. His grace can empower us and see us through. Now let's look at verses 19 through 21. First look at verse 19 with me. Greet Prisca. Some of your translations say Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, I like that because at least it rhymes. So you can remember it maybe better. All right. And the household of Onesiphorus. Look at Prisca or Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila. They, they were tent makers just like Paul whom Paul lived with on his second missionary journey. I love this. God brought him Aquila and Priscilla. They had the same job. It was just dumb luck, right? Just, just a happenstance. Now he brings these two people who had the same job as he does. He's a tent maker and brings them and he lives with them. They traveled to Ephesus with Paul, Aquila and Priscilla. And in Acts 18, 19, it says he left them in Ephesus. Right? Remember, Paul was in Ephesus. Paul writing to Timothy. Right? Timothy was called to serve in Ephesus as well. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, there's a debate whether he was still in Ephesus or not. But he's familiar with these people, right? Aquila and Priscilla, because he'd been in Ephesus. When Apollos came to Ephesus, they explained the way of God more accurately, it says to him later on in, in chapter 18 of Acts. And they eventually returned to Rome, and then it's thought they went back to Ephesus. And listen to what Paul says of these two. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. This is in Romans uh, 16 who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. And Priscilla and Aquila were faithful friends and followers of Jesus that the Lord had placed on Paul's team. They were faithful. And he mentions them here. All right? And he says, he says greet them. They, they must have been near Timothy. He says, hey, greet them for me. These people are important to me. They're part of my team. And notice in the next phrase, it says, the household of Onesiphorus. Now, we met him back in chapter 1 here of 2 Timothy. And remember, it says about Onesiphorus there in, in chapter 1. Uh, he says, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Right? Now listen, it says, greet the household of Onesiphorus. It's thought maybe Onesiphorus has died for the gospel. We, we don't know exactly. He's, he's greet his household in honor of Onesiphorus. Maybe not Onesiphorus was still living. We don't know for sure, but still, here's another person that was a faithful follower of Jesus. He had proved his faith. He, almost, he, he had come and looked and searched and, and, and associated with Paul, who's in prison. He associated himself with, with Paul. And he looked for Paul to encourage him, to refresh him, to, to, to be a friend of Paul and not desert him, right? And he's another faithful person God had placed on his team. Now look at verse 20. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I felt left sick in Miletus. These were traveling companions of Paul who Timothy would have known. And they too were faithful followers of Jesus that the Lord had placed on Paul's team. And then look at verse 21. Make every effort to come before winter. So he's saying Timothy. Travel on the Adriatic Sea would be suspended during winter. They weren't allowed to come during, travel on it during winter. So Timothy would need to be able to come, and he couldn't wait too long to come, or he wouldn't be able to make it to Paul, maybe before Paul's. And what's thought is this, this winter, that winter he was actually beheaded. Okay? That's what history tells us. Um, and he, but Paul desired to see Timothy. He also said, hey, bring the cloak. 
bring my cloak and, 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 the, and these books with you, these, these, these scrolls with you too, but bring my, which would really come in handy in the winter, right? It says, come before winter. He longed to see Timothy, another, his faithful child in the faith and fellow co-laborer that God had given to be on Paul's team as well. So he speak, tells Timothy, hey, come before winter. I want to see you, Timothy. You're important to me. And then look at the last part of verse 21. Eubulus greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. Now, they're mentioned anyplace else in the New Testament. Uh, the first three names are Latin, su- suggesting they were most likely part of the church in Rome, and, and, and Claudia as well. All these people, including Timothy, were gifts. Listen, they were gifts. They were grace to Paul by the Lord. And he had placed all these people that we just mentioned on Paul's team. So as we consider what, what, what these verses teach, it's just a way that Paul highlights grace. I would say this, the grace of a team. Anybody know the grace of a team? The gift of a team? When, when you think about the importance of a team, I want you to consider with me a, a, a crew team. You know what a crew is? A crew? You, know, you don't see them out on our waters, but you may see them in, in rivers. You may see them in the Olympics. You usually see them out in the Northeast, all right, in schools I could never get into. All right, I'd have to take my ACT test about 16 times to get enough all right, to get into those schools. You know what I'm talking about. They have these things called crew teams. It's actually growing. It's a sport, and they get they eight, eight, eight people get in, a, in, a, in a, this long, skinny boat, right? And they've got these oars, all right? If you've ever seen a crew team race, it's amazing to watch them propel their boat down the water, skimming across the water, all right? Just, just the power and precision is amazing. If you've never seen it, I, I, it's amazing. Right, and, and some of these rowers are tall and they're muscular, really long, especially their upper backs. If you ever met somebody who actually rowed on a real crew team and you stand and look at their back, I mean, it's just like this wide and just boom, thick because they're, they're rowing, right? They're, using, they're, they're pull, pulling and using their back. And it just, 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 it, usually they're built like this. A lot of them are built like this. And then they're about just like that, just these huge backs and tall and long, right? And, and you would think that it, you should clone the people who look like that, with the big backs and big, strong, long, tall. If we want the, 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 the boat go as fast as possible. But if you think that, which I thought, and when I researched this, I found I was wrong. I said, you do a bunch of dudes like that. And you need guys that look like Elgin. Tall, long, muscular, young. That's who you need. No, you don't. Come to find out, each position on the boat has different roles, and therefore different skill sets are needed. The coxswain, the little guy who sits in the front, right? He's, he's, he's smaller and good, good vocally and a good vocal leader. You don't want some big heavy guy like me on the front, even though I have a loud mouth, all right? You don't want me. You want a little guy, and he's a good, he's encouraging him. And then there's, the, this, the, the, there's, two, there's two seats on the boat called the stroke. That's their name, the stroke. It's like the quarterback. It's a stroke, all right? He's the, or he's the running back. He's the, he's the stroke. That's, that's the, the seat right behind the coxswain and then seat number seven. And their job is to make sure they're rowing in rhythm. They don't have to be great, big, and strong. They just have rhythm. So I'm out there, okay? I can never be, the, you know, the, the stroke, right? Then, then you have the guys in the middle who are the, the big, tall, that's where the power comes from. And there's other guys in the boat that are more technical rowers to adjust and get everybody else on the same page. Every, so everybody has a different role. They're not all the same. And the point is, for the boat to be most efficient and effective, the rowers must be diverse in their giftings, and they must work together for the boat to get down the water as fast as possible. 
And you see the body of Christ is diverse. Isn't that good? Isn't that good news? The body of Christ is diverse. We're not all the same. And, 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 and we're diverse in, in our, our, our per, we, we need each other to be effective in making disciples who will make disciples. And the Lord has blessed me with so many great teammates to carry out his mission. I think about my dad. Great teammate, faithful man, faithfully proclaimed the truth of the gospel, still living, 81 years old, still going. I think a great teammate, my dad. I think about a guy named Bob Warren who taught me so much about grace and how it impacted my life and who I was in Christ, my identity in Christ, taught me so much. And I watched him live it out. Thankful for that teammate. Tommy Nelson, these men that got in my life. And then God brought this wonderful wife in my life who's my teammate, who encouraged me like no other. My teammate. And many of you, my teammates. And I'm so thankful because we can't do this alone. I thought about putting a picture up here of the Lone Ranger. Then I thought about half of you wouldn't even know who it was. That's amazing. All right? And then I was going to say, but he's not really alone. And I was going to click and there would be this Indian dude on the next page. And who's that? Tonto, because the Lone Ranger wasn't alone. He didn't do it alone. All right? So I thought about then I would show a picture of Texas Walker, Texas Ranger. And that would get maybe another level, right? And then I'd show, after that, I'd show a picture of the guy who was always with him. Because there's no lone rangers in the body of Christ. We're not meant to do it alone. God's given us a team to do this thing together, to work together, to use our gifts, to use our passions together, and head down that road, head down that race together, right? Imagine doing it alone. I can't imagine it. It doesn't work. The Lord has blessed us with a great team. Do you know the grace of a team? Do you know the grace of a team? A team works so much better together. Who has the Lord given you to team up with to fulfill his purpose in you? Who's he given you? If you can think about somebody or a few people today, I want to encourage you. Reach out to them today. Say, man, I'm so glad the Lord gave you. You're a gift from God to me. You're a gift. You're grace from God to me to help me run this race, to fight the good fight, to finish this race, to keep the faith. You're a gift. We need a team. And I would, um, so the last verse, 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. I just mentioned this. It's, it's pretty simple. I don't know how I can mess this one up. This is really interesting too. The Lord be with your spirit. That's singular. It's Timothy. Lord be with your spirit. And the, and the you there is grace be with, it's plural, you all. Be with you all. Now, whether that's just the way that Paul ended it or is he speaking of more, I think there were more people. We just saw there's more people with Timothy, and Timothy would have passed this on to them, right? Grace be with you all. The Lord promises his presence to empower and encourage Timothy and others. He says, the Lord be with you, be with you. Grace be with you. The Lord promises his personal presence to empower us. And I would summarize that, the grace of the Lord's presence. That's a grace. It's a gift. The Lord's personal presence with us, singular and together. We have the promise of God's presence and a sustaining grace every single day. What else do we need? What else do we need? Well, so what? What, what difference does all this make? So, so we don't forget Paul's highlighting of grace in this passage. Let me remind you. We've seen the grace of God, the grace of God in extending grace to others. The grace of the Lord strengthening and, and, and rescuing. The grace of a team. The grace of the Lord's presence. 
And remember, my, what was my desire at the very beginning of our time together? All right? That he be building all of us into those who would be part of the ranks of those who find the thought of God's grace so overwhelmingly wonderful we can never get over it. And I pray as we look at grace and we saw grace all through this passage that you're overwhelmed by God's grace as you consider each of these things in your life. His grace is amazing in every way. He has saved us, those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection from the penalty of our sin. Grace. He is saving us from the power of sin on a daily basis by his grace. And he will one day save us from the very presence of sin, all by his grace. So to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. And Lord, I pray we would be so, oh, find your grace so overwhelmingly wonderful we could never get over it. Lord, help us contemplate on your grace and embrace your grace toward us every single day. Lord, thank you for the greatest gift, the greatest act of grace in the history of the world and you sending your son to die in our place so we may be made right with you. We pray this in his name, Jesus. Amen. Well, before we dismissed here uh, to go out and enjoy some fun, we will have some people, some couples up here if you want to talk to somebody about something, have questions, want somebody to pray with you. We'll have uh, some people on both sides up here, uh, down here, if you can talk to them. Uh, but to end this morning, I'll ask you to stand up. All right? This is awesome how the Lord ended. This makes it really easy for me this morning. I don't have to go looking for anything because right at the end of our passage, all right, let me end by giving you this blessing from God's grace, of, of God's grace from the very last verse of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 22, and most likely the last words ever recorded by the Apostle Paul. What it says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. You're dismissed.